0: Hello, and welcome to Fantastic Comic Fan. I am your host, R.T. Fleming, and it is my mission to help you find your next digital comic book pick from the golden age to now. I have been reading comic books for over 40 years, and have never lost my passion for comic books. something I try to pass on to old and new readers. Welcome back to the podcast today i am bringing on another kickstarter campaign today it's michael and i'm not even going to attempt to pronounce your last name because i know i'm going to screw it up and i'm not going to actually pronounce your kickstarter campaign i think it's wild oni possibly maybe Ah, i got that at least right so michael first time guest um i want to know your origin story what got you into comic books and made you a lifelong fan
1: uh first of all thanks for having me on tonight man i appreciate that um, and the last name uh, pronunciation is Florio, which sounds a lot I simpler. I would have never it's, got it right. I would have you it, it. Yeah, there's there's like 14 other secessions and uh, antecedents to Florio, uh, like Fiorello and stuff. Yeah, that's it, 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 it gets it gets pretty complicated if you get out to actual Italy. But that's my that's my Italian surname. That's my family name. Uh, as far as comics goes, I uh, graduated with my uh, masters and my bachelors in creative writing for major. Uh, creating writing for entertainment from Full Sail University uh, in Winter Park, Florida. I did all this online. Um, I finished my master's degree after I lost my job. That was kind of my focus during COVID. And right after I finished, about two weeks in, someone had invited me to come and edit a comic book for a company called Limitless Comics. It was a small press company, and it was a title called Thirst. What's really funny about this title is Karen Sadie Darbo, who just co-created Blade's Daughter, Uh, for the bloodline series was a cover artist on that Uh, so that that was pretty cool career feat right out the gate for me uh after that i i got linked in with this marketing company whose focus is niching on comics and um i've been a part of uh the return of um what is what is that exiled which was Uh, Wesley Snipes coming back into the entertainment industry it was published by Massive Uh, we did that Um, I brought in Austin St. John after I met him at a convention last year Uh, we did his uh, comic book series Redemption and so basically a marketing company comes in and we set up the Kickstarter and we help create the graphics for it we do the marketing distribution and all that so I've been I've been a part of 40 plus Kickstarter campaigns um, going going strong in three or four years now we've raised over, I think, a million dollars uh, in stuff. And so I, I finally just got in the game and stopped editing other people's. Well, I haven't stopped editing other people's, but I backed off of editing other people's comic books to focus on my creator own stuff. Uh, one, which uh, is uh, Iron Jaguar, which is my legacy character, uh, is a character based on me, and I wrote it in honor of my grandma, who died of cancer, because she was the transition between um, my... Coming out of the game design program and transferring into the creative writing program, because uh, for those of you who don't know, going into game design, if all you want to do is set assets and create assets and be that type of person, game design is for you. I wanted to tell stories, and I didn't know that going into the game design program, you didn't find out till after your first year that um, you don't get to write any stories.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Being being a game designer, you you get to work crunch hours and deal with the uh the high stress uh sometimes low paying and sometimes temporary contract work in, in the gaming industry um which is it crushes a lot of people and there's a lot of Revolution in the industry going on with with big corporate entities that doesn't just affect SAGATRA and the writer, and the and the Actors Guild. It uh, also affecting the comics uh, industry with all the suicides that's happened lately and stuff. So um, that was kind of my introductory into comics, and so I wrote this comic called Wild Oni. It's a supernatural samurai dark fantasy fiction that highlights an actual historical character and turns uh turns some of the history in the Sengoku period towards the Edo period, kind of like the, the transition between the two periods in history, right before they put down swords and made it illegal and picked up, you know, muskets and stuff and black powders and started Westernizing. Um,
0: you, also, but I, uh, oh, going, no, nope, go oh, no, no, go ahead. Oh, now we're fighting who gets to talk here. Now, <laughs> was, no, you also, I believe you also said you have a podcast going also. What's that all about?
1: Yeah. So, um, when I got into the marketing company, um, when I was editing that first comic book, we were—I was trying to—I was trying to help them do more. Like they were small press; they didn't really have much of a distribution as far as marketing go. They had about a 570 following on Facebook as far as like a group, which is kind of healthy for a small press, but it's—it's it's nothing mainstream, right? It's not like Antarctic Press or even AfterShock, uh, which they're—they're they're CB tier small press publishers, but. They have notoriety as much as Top Cow or Arcana or um, even even Image has. So I wanted to help build them up. And I was like, okay, so this is my foothold into learning marketing because what they don't tell you in college when you uh, come out the gate with a fancy, shiny piece of paper degree is that you have to learn how to be an entrepreneur. And a lot of that has to do with being able to write copy and, and social media marketing and then you get you get into the algorithms game, and so I uh, I did a stand-in interview for a Kickstarter that the company was putting on, and I didn't really like it. Um, the The questions and the host uh, were a little timid, and they weren't as in depth and i felt like i could do better and you know i didn't directly confront this person i just i answered all the questions represented the product that i was going on there to represent and the creator that i was representing as the editor of this comic book and i decided to start my own at first it was just comics and pop tarts but then i llc'd and i made a comics uh, apostrophe and apostrophe pop tarts and uh it's it's basically a podcast that that interviews people, has them talk about creatives, but I've had actors on, I've had directors, Stephanie Nadalny, the voice of Gohan,'s been on to talk about what it's like to be a voice actor in the industry. It's actually a playground for me to explore the industry and give people a bird's eye view into the careers that they long since dream about while sitting at home, you know, wondering how they can change their life from the usual grind of the nine to five. And um I also bring creators on to talk about their products, give them a spotlight to, you know, talk about their creative endeavors and how they how they approach storytelling, whether it be from the horror genre or the fantasy genre. Uh, we've had tons of publishers on as well. Tony Contrell from Admin Comics. It's 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 a great opportunity and it runs it runs parallel into what I do with Geek, uh, with Geek Network as a staff writer reviewing comics. I've uh, been quoted a few times by Dark Horse. Um, it's, it's, it's a way to build networking and I've found a way to kind of thread all these things together. You know, I found, I found you in this podcast, you know, by edited, by being the editor of Sweet Pea for a limb, a Johnson's comment and, uh, we're moving into issue three. And so I, I used all that, you know, networking strength and collaboration and, got to know some of these creators on a personal level, got a lot of encouragement and inspiration from them. So I decided to start making my own comic books. In essence, my original goal um, when I finished school was to move out to LA or New York and be a screenwriter. Um, I've got to live that dream, but remotely. So I wrote a pilot script for Mozzie Productions in Australia in this past year. And that's about as close to the film industry as I've gotten so far. Uh, Comics is really just, I don't want to say a cheaper way into the production world of of television and filmmaking but it's it's definitely a a a more evocative way to create pitch materials so that when you do go in you you can show various various elements of storytelling that they're looking for as far as visually goes because comics and film they're both visual mediums so Um, I'm hoping one day one of the series that I do write uh, gets picked up and adapted, and uh, that's the ultimate goal. When um, the politics around the country kind of dry up and they're less violent and they're more inviting for a place to raise kids, because I have a small son, a six-year-old son at home, I'll uh, I'll make that trip out there and I'll take on all those obstacles. But until then, um, the biggest thing I've had to deal with as uh how to build industry where i'm at here in biloxi mississippi and there's there's good there's good structural foundation i found uh the 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 mississippi writers guild we have a small chapter down here i'm a part of that um there has been numerous creators and filmmakers out here who've made it to amazon um i've met them at uh conventions and stuff Um, i'm actually supposed to starting in a couple months I'm going to be a light person for someone on set for a film. So that'll give me a little bit of experience. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a whirlwind. They they don't really prepare you for all of this coming out the gate at college. When they hand you a master's degree, they're just like, great job. And then it. you kind of just have to, yeah, you kind of just have to figure it out. Um, comics is really lucrative. It costs between three to five grand to make them. And I don't know if you, you know, follow much, kickstarter traffic or crowdfunding traffic like i do but it's not usually a big return so what you're no. really doing is either breaking even or you are looking to um just get print costs so that yeah. you could invest more into con appearances in hopes that you could break even there so, i actually
0: uh, had a campaign or i had a couple of people on we did a live show about a month or so ago it yeah. was how to start a successful kickstarter campaign was you have a link in the show notes and they were actually like you, they were actually very, you know, honest and like, this is hard work. This is not easy. This is not the real the riches. And yeah. so it was a really, you know, t- really a, a really in-depth thing. I'll have that in the show notes, but for this project, why did you decide to do a Kickstarter versus like maybe find a, a publisher and how much research did you put in the project and how does it connect into the the mythos that you're trying to create with the history. I know I just tossed a lot in there, but go ahead.
1: No, no, you're fine. You're fine. Um, we'll, we'll tackle the marketing stuff first. So, uh, Kickstarter and Indiegogo has been kind of second nature. I've I've worked inside both those platforms. I've seen Kickstarter grow over the last two three years. Um, they while we were running the Redemption, uh, book for Austin St. John, they had implemented a no AI policy. Luckily he got his in and approved before they had passed it because he actually had an AI cover. But uh, that was an obstacle that people had to tackle. And there's there's an ethics issue there that Kickstarter is trying to avoid. And while I respect that, I, I think there's a larger discussion to be had there. So I haven't seen that reflected on like Indiegogo or Crowdfunder or Fund My Comic. Fund My Comics basically been made by Mike Barron at least the platform attraction to it has because he's the first one to like break i, I believe five or six digits on that platform but um kickstarter used to be user friendly it's it's now becoming more of an effort like i had to create graphics inside the tiers themselves used to be able to get away with just graphic like tiers, tier reward graphics in your main campaign where the main story page is. But I guess they're trying to alternate some. So it's a weird transition. Kickstarter just has a larger audience. It's been around. It's got more notoriety. They have an algorithm that pushes you up. Um, if you start really low and you you fund really fast, you could be up for you know projects we love. Um, our 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 project, Wild Oni, uh, got a projects we love, which I'm super proud of. But um, it's it's hard to get because there's so many projects. In fact, if you go search right now, I believe there's anywhere from two to three hundred that are actually live, and I'm currently competing with you know Brian Polito, um, I believe yes. I believe uh, Oni Source. Oni Oni press is about to launch one those are two big giants on kickstarter um everybody's been competing with like board games and stuff on kickstarter so i know marvel's been running that huge marvel dice campaign millions of dollars there um it's 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 it's, it's, it's interesting um but i really wanted it to be the market test so on kickstarter when you when you launch a campaign you actually have to set a price and you have to hit that price if you don't and your your campaign runs out of time and the price isn't honored then you know everybody goes away and it's really a place to like really test the material so kickstarter's really good at being really honest about their users coming in to back something that they believe is content worthy so i wanted to test my own product against the validity of you know what people think think about it um sad to say that Without much third-party marketing, you know, outside our own company, having to go to places like AdSense or maybe Facebook for, for marketing services, or maybe even hitting up Hulu at ninety-nine dollars—they've been advertising all year long. Um, I, I wouldn't—I wouldn't be as far as I am with with other collaborators from and within the comics community, and also friends and family. So the market test here is, is kind of rough because I'm just out the gate. I'm promising eight issues. It's a really hard promise. Not many people make it that far. Um, even Brian Polito, when he releases stuff, if it's not 48 to 90-something pages packed, it's usually two to three issues. And sometimes it's one to four issues at one time. But uh, there's, a double, the
0: there's a several publishers that actually put out a huge, big tier of stuff at one time. Uh Yeah. Uh, Rick Ufinger's, uh G-Man. He's he does mm. every six months. Yes. Yep. Yep. And yep. he has I, a huge package of stuff that he does. But I'm sorry. That's to go
1: on. that's one place. I, I that's one company I haven't been able to stick Iron Jaguar in. Um, so uh, here's a tactic that you can use because of Kickstarter and crowdfunder platforms. I took Iron Jaguar, even though I knew I couldn't do anything with them at the moment. I I got I got them developed. Uh, I got him drawn up, uh, and I put him in tier rewards that offered spaces for your character. So I did that in Champion Comics. I did that in um, Coalition Comics. I did that in Powerverse, and I also did that in Gro Comics. And that that gives that gives you a copyright. So um, from the mouth of Gamal Hennessy, the lawyer who's most known throughout comics, who's also part of the comics connections with Andy Schmidt, um, he says that you have to have at least two issues published in order to have validity in court for that copyright. So he's in four issues now. And even though I don't have a one shot or a series or a graphic novel of that character, it's in. So um, me, I go through WGA to get scripts um, to protect the writing material. I can't protect its visual like development or designs until they're developed so after issue two i should be good that's just something to consider kickstarter though is 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 the hardest place to fund fast and it's also it's also just really difficult and they're always changing their tools so i really wanted that to be like the first place that that wild only succeeded um because if a wild only can succeed on on kickstarter then i can roll him over into indiegogo where the pay there is i get the pay immediately so i could leave that campaign open and effectively for six months and see how well it does and just keep making updates and while that's going on i could roll him over into crowdfunder and do a short 15-day campaign and see how many people you know catch on there and i'm really only telling them hey this is already done you, you could just get this if. At, at print value for the price of what you'd pay to comic book in a store while on top of seeking, you know, store exclusives from my local shops here in town. And uh, I can go ahead and start doing consignments and stuff like that. Um, so the, the reason why I chose to do a samurai comic uh, and it kind of ties in with the history is I'm a huge fan of Ghost Rider, and I'm a huge fan of duality. That's what draws me to two characters like silver surfer uh, Ghost Rider, the Incredible Hulk, people that have to combat two different, two different or multiple different sides of themselves. Uh Deadpool goes through the same character arcing. Uh even Batman goes through the same character arcing. Uh Joker goes through the same character arcing. They're all they're all dueling with internal and external um elements that give their characters depth. Then I wanted my character to have depth. So I was doing some research. I found Morichika. Morichika was part of the So, so uh, the, the So the Sopao clan, I believe it's the Sopau clan, and there was a small skirmish at a uh, a port uh, with a bunch of samurai that he led. Now, what happened to him is is very vague. There's not much history on it. Uh, it's it's hard to research Japanese history without a third party, and it's even harder to attain a third party to get research without having to go to a place like Fiverr and get somebody else to do it, where you really don't know the research you get back is going to be valid and I don't want to be chewed up, you know, by uh, fans later on who actually know the history and uh, come back and, you know, catch me on some cultural appropriation trip. And then I have to, you know, take a walk back and be like, oh, I'm sorry. So I turned it into more of a fiction uh, fantasy than an actual, um, you know, historical iteration and adaptation. And so from there, you know, The mythos behind this is that there were there were two two powers that reflect the yin and yang, and that was Wildoni, which represents everything that's evil, but also everything that's stern and disciplined. And then there was the salamander spirit, and these were astral primordial powers that came together to form the earth. And the salamander won and locked Wildoni in a meteoric prison. And uh fails. To help Toyotomi push into Korea and inevitably uh, kills his family and then leaves him for dead. Um, but before he could die, he follows the whispers of Wildoni from outside in the wilderness into like a chasm between, you know, a cliff and inside all these dead samurai protecting all these weird looking treasures in between, you know, stylized thematic pillars. And then on a mantle sits a meteor. And inside that meteor, is uh is the spirit and essence of wildoni who is actually residing in the kami realm and the kami realm itself is the supernatural iteration of what i what i believe to be the um uh, japanese version of the american purgatory and so wild oni promises morichika that he'll give him all this crazy supernatural power to seek vengeance but once he does uh Wild oni just basically shatters this whole town tell you tell me retreats back to Japan uh, don't even know he doesn't even know what hit him and um we go into the Kami realm where Morichika and Wild oni kind of have this internal conflict in, in an extra dimensional space which leads into issue 2 now the whole series promises uh, a few things we're going to we're going to run through japan we're going to run through tsushima the island between korea and japan and we're going to even go into the we're going to go into the korean peninsula and land on korea and go through korea and then just just the other night i made the uh i made the decision to include uh yusuke the okay. uh, the black samurai into the series as a guardian of the heavenly sword because what happens to him after nobunaga falls um is is very vague as well a lot of people don't know who he was or, or what happened to him shortly after nobunaga fell and, and the entire country of japan was forever changed um so i'm going to utilize him and then um musashi musashi Miyamoto will make an appearance too what? uh and the no go on and the whole reason for the journey to find this heavenly sword is because it's the only thing that can kill demons and um, there's there's a huge plot twist that involves Morichika's wife in it, and the main overlay is kind of like this Walking Dead effect, where because Morichika broke Wildoni out of the meteoric prison, he was kind of the key that holds the Kami realm from crossing over into the barrier of the land of the living. So once Wildoni is released, portals start opening up all over Tsushima, Japan, Korea, China, and just... Large, mythical, chaotic, ugly, nasty looking commie beasts, demons, yokai, they just start pouring out and they start wrecking things. And before you know it, you know, the whole country of Japan's in a flux. And this is kind of all happening all over everywhere. They just don't know it yet. And uh that's something I'm I'm working towards. And I think when we once we hit issue five, the response will be a lot larger. Um, but I'm I'm almost there. I'm like, like $93 from funding. Okay. Um, my My main concern right now is that we won't get a little over. I'd like to hit fifteen hundred, just in case I have any, you know, backers who like to back out. Um, right now, um, I have a cover by Jeff Muth that Dan Kemp from Spawn colored, and uh, I'm offering uh, an original art here that features uh, an eleven by seventeen, um, a- original pencil sketch from Jeff Muth, signed by him. And then I have four more spots where the audience can actually pay to be beheaded in issue two, and it'll be the only, the only drawn ins here I have for the entire series because I, I do plan on, on um, submitting this for publication to CEX or CEX, publishing, which is uh, the publisher that Andy Schmidt um, um, owns with in unison to Comics Connections, so.
0: Um, sure. What time? What type of uh, plan? I'm sorry. What type of fan would be interested in backing this Kickstarter?
1: I think the type of fan that would be interested in this are uh, people who are very fond of of stories that deal in external conflict. Um, people who like demon slaying uh, would be ideal for this comic. People who uh, are a big fan of epic adventures. Uh, so f- so for the gaming fans out there who love like Final Fantasy, you know, uh, Legends of Zelda, um, I'm trying to think Ghost of Tsushima was a huge inspiration for this comic. So there's a little bit of Tsushima in there. Um, and, and the artist that I found for the rest of the series is is so detailed that there's going to be some really awesome perspective landscaping in the rest of the series to come. Where's the uh, artist sh- located at? So the artist that did this, uh, that did that did wild only issue one, the first six pages was Jod Nuari, and he's an artist out of Malaysia. And then um, for some reason or another after page six, he was unable to continue. So I hired a company called Q logic in Texas that finished the rest of the book. Um, the artist that I found for the rest of the series um, after the book was done, I believe is uh, in South America.
0: Okay. Okay. So
1: he's he's a lot closer, but he's a lot more reliable. Um, Jod Noir is going to stay on as the colorist because he was doing a lot of jobs. It was just me and him at the beginning, and then SK is a uh, he's he's no he's known in the indie comic circuit. Uh, he lettered the book. Uh, he'll continue to letter, and then uh, Delaney Sleeper, who who worked with Absolute Comics on the, I believe it was White Widow series. Uh, is going to be the editor moving forward she's also the interior designer um, and then i have various covers i have a few cover artists that did uh, work on austin st john stuff Uh, dj hall and zach spivy jeff muth and dan kemp uh, did one cover and then jeff did uh, another cover and then monty michael moore from maverick arts who does a lot of work for uh, the star wars at disney like the actual like art like art art like painting and stuff his paintings go for thousands of dollars he did a a beautiful watercolor of uh, Mori Chica's wife, Kogisai, on uh, one of the covers. would all those covers are available on the on the campaign
0: briefly, what advice would you give to somebody that's thinking of starting their own Kickstarter campaign?
1: I would say I would say, be really honest with what you're bringing to the table. If it's technology, I would say, go on Kickstarter, look up what what's selling the best and look at how they present it. If they're presenting a project, a product that, you know, has a graphic tier that maybe explains some of the internal engineering of, you know, whatever electronic or digital device that you're bringing to the platform, then that's kind of where you need to be because people need to know how that works. Um, look at the way they're structuring their tiers and what they're offering. Be creative with what you can offer, but also be honest and know where, know where your limits are. Because I i i was uh i was really 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 gung-ho with this kickstarter campaign so i came out the gate with like six covers and honestly i really only needed like three or four so i i spent a lot more money than i needed to on some certain things but it's a learning process so just if you don't feel like like you have enough to offer offer what you can and then just just promote that. If you, if you make enough with what you're offering currently, then you can reinvest the next time you come back, if you come back at all. And know this, you don't have to go to just one platform. I, I, I study various comics uh, crowdfunders who bring their comics to self-publish on, on, on platforms like Kickstarter and Indiegogo, and I've, I've watched them roll over an anthology graphic novel uh, Russell Nolte's Cthulhu, uh, Cthulhu graphic novel anthology. He rolled it onto to Kickstarter first, then an Indiegogo, and then Crowdfunder. And from all the percentages that those platforms take, after adding up the gross, which was about ninety-one k, he probably walked away with seventy-five, maybe eighty, somewhere in between there. And that that was over a ninety-day period. And that's 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 a full-time job for most people who work, you know, full time, even as a lawyer, like I think I think uh uh lawyers who still haven't passed the bar, I think they're paralegals, they they don't even make you know 75k a year, at least not at smaller firms in small towns. So I mean he 90 days and he could have just, you know, took a vacation for the rest of the year. But uh but yeah you you don't have to stop at just one platform. You can roll it over. That's what I plan on doing with Wild Oni. Get as much as I can get bring all those people on board and then, um, just continue making content. So, uh, this has
0: been an extremely fascinating conversation and we are running short on time. I even get to half my questions. This is very meaty. So thank you about that. (laughs) No problem. You get the last word. So any closing thoughts,
1: any closing thoughts, uh, never give up on, on anything that you're doing, even if other people think it's stupid. Um, I, I know for a fact that having a podcast interviewing creators all the time that it is a very DIY medium, but what isn't? You know, podcasting is DIY. Unless you monetize your platform, you're not making anything for it. It's it's pure passion and joy. Oh, tell me uh, about it. Yeah. It's net network, network all you can. It's it's a superpower of mine. It could be a superpower for you. You never know what kind of opportunities can be can blossom from just meeting a random person. Um but don't ever give up on what you're doing, whether it's podcasting, whether it's writing a comic book. Uh, I'm I'm currently kickstarting a comic. I'm I've got an anthology series that I have writers working with me on. And I'm writing a novel for Nana this month on top of planning all this other stuff, writing reviews for Geek Network and doing podcast interviews while running my own podcast. So I, I'll have the Yes Like don't ever give up. And when it gets busy, don't don't get tired because that's usually when what you're needing to break through needs to happen. So don't quit before you break through, Michael to <laughs> Should sure I ask name again?
0: Creator of Wild Oni. Yeah. All these things will be in the show notes. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. I really enjoy having you on there. We'll figure a way to get you back on again. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. <music> Well, that's it for today's podcast. Again, I would love to hear from you, a fantastic comic fan, at gmail.com. Remember, new episodes every Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope to see you next time.